So um, Bob reached out to me earlier this week and asked if I could uh, share a message. And um, I'll be honest, you know, I didn't really have anything in my back pocket that I could just pull out. So um, I did have a topic that I wanted to talk about, and it had to do with resolutions. So at least I could share the topic. But then this morning, um, as I was going through my notes and everything, I, you know, I I got a, um, I don't know, I had a really strong feeling that, that I should go a little bit different direction. Still the same topic. So it's still about resolutions. But I felt really strongly that I should just tell you a story. So this isn't a sermon in a traditional sense. This is more of just a story. And it's a, uh, it's a really personal story because it's a story about my, uh, my struggles with resolutions. And so it, um, I wanted to start by setting a little bit of context uh, about resolutions so that we have a framework that we can work through as we uh, navigate this story. And hopefully it resonates with you. Hopefully it, uh, it means something. Um, it meant a lot to me as I, as I wrote it out this morning. So resolution, uh, the, re- the word resolution, we'll just, I, I like linguistics and I, I like words. And the word resolution is actually has multiple meanings. It's a noun. Uh, most people don't think about it like that, but it's actually a noun. Resolution is about, uh, it's to come to a resolution to solve a problem or to answer a question, or it can also be an objective or a goal. And so it has, it's always a to be statement. So a resolution is always something out here. It's not about the activities or the path that you take to get there. It's really just about the end. And so when we talk about New Year's resolutions, I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to become more fit, or I'm going to do something. That's always the goal. It's not about, it doesn't talk about the path to get there. It just talks about the goal. And so in the context of that, I want to tell a story about my experience with resolutions in a religious sense. So I was baptized at the age of 10. And at that point, I made a resolution to be a Christian. I made a resolution to follow Christ. I didn't really fully understand. I'm just being completely honest. I didn't really fully understand what that meant or what was involved with that. But I felt like that was something, you know, that you were supposed to do. And so um, I did make that resolution. But then as I, uh, as I started to continue my, my uh, growth experience, you know, I ran into a lot of, uh, a lot of distractions, uh, you know, as we tend to do is growing up, we get exposed to a lot of different things, a lot of new things, a lot of things that maybe are against what, uh, you know, what our initial uh, uh, re- upbringing entailed. Um, and so, you know, this, this is the journey about how I went from there to where I am today. And I just want to talk about that a little bit in the context of a story, but I did want to, I did want to set the groundwork because I was, I was born into an Adventist family. My mother and father are Adventists. are fantastic parents. So I want to be clear about a whole number of things. I want to set, set the record straight on a number of things. My mother faithfully read us Arthur Maxwell's uh, Bible story. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that series. It's a fantastic series that Arthur Maxwell did with uh, lots of illustrations. And so that gave me a clear perspective on the 
different Bible characters that also had resolutions. So for example, Joseph, Joseph set a resolution very early on that he was never going to forget the Lord of his father. He was never going to forget the land of his father. He set that resolution. David set a resolution. He was not going to take the throne by force. It's a little known resolution or not really often talked about resolution, but it was a really important resolution he made that really dictated how he lived his early life. The um, Daniel set a resolution, Daniel and his friends set a resolution that they weren't going to defile themselves with the king's food because it had been offered to idols and there was, you know, a lot of other things around that, that they were going to live a life that they had been raised to live. And so there's, there were lots of characters in the Bible that had raised, you know, that had established resolutions and had gone through a life journey to achieve those resolutions. In the, um, the experience that I had with resolutions was, was a little bit different. And it's not dark and sordid, but it's something that I, I fear that a lot of people or other people may have experienced as well. Like I said, I was, I was raised in an Adventist home. I went to Adventist high schools all the way through uh, high school. I went to two different Adventist high schools. And throughout that time, obviously, you know, you have Bible class, you have, you go to church, you do all of the things that you do. But this, the um, concept of salvation and the concept of Jesus and our relationship and how we fit into that, what I never could figure out, and I did truly struggle with this until I was, until the mid nineties, I struggled with the connection between salvation and eternity, which I believe, and I still believe, was a, is an awesome thing, and it's a beautiful and, and you know, experience to be able to, to have salvation and to have eternal life. But the connection between where we are right now and how we get there, that was, the, that was what I struggled with. And there was lots of things that were said and lots of lessons that were taught, but I never clicked for me. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, Bible class didn't teach how to get there. What I'm saying is there's a principle. Um, if, you, if you read the New Testament in particular, Paul, who is a fantastic evangelist and a wonderful missionary and wrote beautiful letters. Paul, I don't know if you've ever read a lot of his writings, but he has a common theme. He refers to races and physical games quite frequently. So he uses those as metaphors to establish how you get from one place to another. But the problem was that as, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but the way that I understood it in the context of the teachings that I had at the time was that that was a singular event. A race was a singular event. It was you and you were running a race and you were on your own essentially. And you were doing right or wrong. And when you did wrong, you failed. And when you did right, you succeeded. And so there's a text, and I'll just uh, read this text really quickly because this was an important foundational element of that. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 24, it says, In a race, all the humans, all, I'm sorry, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. If you know that, or you know that, don't you? So run in a way that you will get the prize. All who take part in the games train hard. They do it to get a crown that will be lost or that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
So I do not run like someone who doesn't run toward the finish line. I do not fight like a boxer who is hitting at the air. No, I train my body and I bring it under control. And then after I have preached to others, I myself will not break the rules and fail to win the prize. And so the, the message that I took away from that, right, wrong, or indifferent, the message I took away from that was that you that life was going to be hard, right? There were going to be challenges. There were going to be difficulties, but you had to win. You had to figure out a way, and you had to, to do the right thing all the time. And if you didn't, as it points out, if you broke the rules, you lost. It was that simple. And so no matter how you viewed the rules, no matter whether you look at just the Decalogue or you looked at other parts of the rules, if you broke any of the rules, you lost. And so whenever you would, you know, whenever I would try to be good, inevitably, whenever I would try to be good, at some point I would fail. At some point I would fail. And then I felt like I went back to the start. And so what it created was just a, and again, and I'm taking full responsibility for this. I was not a fantastic student, and I didn't dig in and study. Martin Luther dug in and studied, and he got to the core. Others have done this and got to the core and understood what the true meaning of that text was and, and the context around it. But I didn't do that. I didn't, I just, I be, started to become apathetic. And in a large sense, I just sort of let it go, you know? and focused on other things. There's, a, like I said, a lot of distractions. As a young person, as a young adult, coming up into uh, you know, getting a career, there's just a lot of other things. Now, foundationally, my, again, my parents had done a fantastic job because foundationally, I knew in the back of my mind, God was still God. Salvation was still a thing, although I didn't understand the mechanics of it. I didn't understand why Jesus had to die. I didn't understand how that I connected to that. I just knew it was, I knew it was real. I didn't, I believed in the Bible but I just didn't focus on what it was that would get me from where I was to that goal, to that end game. And so um, a couple of events happened and this is where, <clears throat> and I promised myself I wouldn't break down, but um, this is where God is truly amazing because he has not only infinite patience, but he uses many, many different ways to try and reach people. And he knows specifically, he knows you specifically, and he knows how he can, he tries to reach people specifically. And that's the thing to me that's amazing. God doesn't get on TV and make an announcement to a whole nation. He tries to reach people specifically. And for me, <clears throat> the, in, and it started, it really started in the mid nineties. There was, there was two or three events that transformed how I viewed God and how I viewed the race, how I viewed the journey. And it started with a series, and I don't know if anybody else is familiar with the series. There was, there was uh, several series that were done uh, by Mark Finley and, and Dwight Nelson um, in the mid-90s. And the focus of the message wasn't a traditional, you know, because like I said, I grew up in Adventist, so I was familiar with all the charts and the dragons and the monsters and all of the things that uh, were commonplace in series. But this was very different. It didn't focus on the fear. It focused on getting to know God. And these guys 
would, st- would stand up and they would do the series. And you could tell, you could tell just by looking at them that, you know, they weren't pretentious. They weren't using fear as a tool. Like they were just genuine people and they were very nice people. And they just wanted to share an experience that they, you know, they had gone through in their lives and that God was not someone that was to be feared or something that was to be unknown or a mystery that God actually wanted to first be your friend. And so the point was that the resolution, the first resolution is not really what's the goal. The first resolution shouldn't be, I want to go to heaven. The first resolution should be, I want to get to know Jesus. I do that first. It's just like when you fly, if you've ever flown and they say, if an oxygen mask falls down, you know, you put yours on first before you try to help anybody else. Because if you don't, you're not going to be in any condition to help anybody else. It's the same principle. You get to know Jesus first because that is the source of power. And that's the source that's going to, that's the way that you're going to get from point A to point B. And so it started to intrigue me, um, you know, so I started to, to go down this path and um, there was, there were several other um, evangelists that I, I was able to, uh, was able to experience their message. And another one in particular that really helped solidify it for me was Lee Benden, who did a series on uh, Jesus first or G- only Jesus. And the focus was how to become a friend of, how to have Jesus as your friend. And so, you know, this, again, is starting to change a perspective, starting to change a perspective in a real way. At that time, I, you know, I, I started to understand how important it was to be a friend, to have Jesus as a friend. But the, I was still struggling a little bit with the mechanics of how do you become a friend of Jesus? And and more importantly, for me, I understood that Jesus wanted to be a friend, but I was still struggling. <clears throat> I was still struggling with Jesus wanting to be my friend. Specifically, I understood that he came and he died and he was a very awesome guy. And, and he was God and he had done fantastic things. I knew all of the stories, you know, and, you, and I knew a lot of uh, contextually. I knew a lot of background, you know, because there's all the miracles. There's the lessons he taught. There's the, um, you know, historical experiences that he had gone through uh, throughout the Bible. But there was still, I was still struggling a little bit with, with Jesus wanting to be my friend. (laughs) And so um, around that, so let's, another, another amazing thing that, that God did in our, in my life at that time um, helped, helped paint the picture that I had never, <clears throat> I apologize, helped paint the picture I had never seen before. At the time, we lived in central Virginia, and I got a contract up in central New Jersey. And so, um, you know, it took about as much time to drive there as it did to go to the airport and to fly to Newark and drive all the way out to central New Jersey. And plus, I'm a cheap guy, and I got paid 51 cents a mile to drive. <laughs> And I could keep the money. So whatever I didn't spend on gas. And so I started driving. Well, it's about a five to six hour drive. And so it's a lot of time to ponder life. So every week, I would drive that twice. I would drive up. And at the end of the week, I would drive back. 
So I had this all of this time. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. I, I started um, listening to books on tape and, you know, all of the other things you do to pass the time. And um, in parallel to this, our family had just finished reading a book on Ellen White, not in the, <clears throat> excuse me, not in the, um, it was really a book about her as a mother and as a wife and as a grandmother and as a human being. It was a, and it, um, it started and it changed how it, it changed how I could had always considered her because coming up, I had always, you know, there was a lot of quotes that are thrown out that were based on Ellen White and she could be used as a hammer sometimes, unfortunately. And what I had seen in the story about her life was a, <coughs> was an incredibly kind and humble person that loved people. And so I knew that she had written a lot of stuff about Jesus. So I wanted to, I thought it would be cool to, to listen to some of the books that she had written, listen to them on CD. So I started with the great controversy because that's a pretty cool book. It's a fascinating book. If you ever read the great controversy, um, you know, it takes, essentially it takes everything from revelation through the end of time. And so um when I was done with that book, I thought I would read listen to the desire of ages. <coughs> I apologize. Um, this is harder than I thought it would be. The desire of ages um, is a depiction of the life of Christ. If you ever want to have a picture of the life of Christ, or if you ever want to get to know Christ in a way that you've never, ever heard or seen of him in any context, that is an incredible book. And I, to this day, I can't listen to that book without breaking down. The, <sighs> what he wanted to do for a single person to give up his life, to, to not only give up his life, to go back, to come from heaven, to give up heaven in the first place. And to come to this earth and to what the experiences were that he went through for 33 and a half years to finally die just so that a human being could live forever. To pay the price for the sins that I committed, not that the world committed. I know what it says in John 3.16, but he did it for individual people. He died for every single person individually. He paid the price for the sins that we committed. He paid the price and he didn't do it because he had to do it. He did it because he wanted to do it. And he did it because not only does he want us to live in heaven forever, but he wants to be friends with us now. He really, really does. When he created Adam and Eve in the beginning, his idea, the original plan, was so that he could have friends. And not that he doesn't have, not that he's not friends with angels, and I don't know all of the uh, relationships that go on in heaven and in the universe, but he wants first, first, before anything else, he wants to be friends with people. And he wants that relationship. All of the other things that Paul talked about getting through all of the difficulties, having that transformative life come as a result of being a friend of Jesus first. And so the listen, 
<clears throat> listening to that book painted a picture that I had never seen of God. And it changed my entire outlook. Not only did it help shed light on how massive my sins were, but how much Jesus wanted to take them away and to take them on himself just so we could be friends and we could be together forever. And that's for every single person. And so I felt like, um, and there was, a, there, was, there was other books and there was other things along the journey, but I felt a lot like Christian in the John Bunyan book, Pilgrim's Progress. If you've ever never read the book, it's actually a fascinating book. There's two parts to it. Um, most people only read the first part, but the second part is actually really cool as well. But so the, the Christian, it's about his journey. And he wrote it when he was in prison. He was in prison for holding religious meetings. You can only hold in England at the time in the late 1600s, you can only have religious meetings for the Church of England. And so he was going against that. And he spent about two, two years in prison. And he wrote this book, or wrote the first part of the book in prison. And it, it, it's really an allegory of the journey that a Christian makes. And he meets all of these people along the way that represent the same things, which is funny, fascinating about the book. It's the same things we experience today. It's the same experiences we have today about disappointment, about discouragement, about the evangelist that help keeps continually helps him, keeps pointing him to the right place. It's about hope. You know, it's, and so this, this allegory, um, I, I started to relate to it more and more and appreciate the, um, the experiences that Christian went through on his journey. And what this did for my view on resolutions, my original resolution never really changed. I still want to go to heaven. I still want to have eternal life. But what it did change for me was a resolution that first, I want to know Jesus. And first, I want to be friends with Jesus. Because, as Paul said, and believe me, Paul wanted nothing more. And he spent tons of time writing letters to explain salvation by grace and to explain how Jesus was the path to salvation. So the fault isn't Paul the way he wrote. The fault was mine that I didn't read the full context of what he wrote. And when he talks about the race, it is a good metaphor because it is a singular race, but we don't run the race alone. Each person does have to run the race individually, but they don't have to run the race alone because you have a trainer and you have a friend that wants to do the entire race with you and to hold your hand through the entire race. And there is one winner or one loser because the race is not against other people. The race is actually against yourself. It's in your heart, right? It's the choice in your heart. That's where the fight is. That's where the difficulty, that's where the struggles come in is against ourself. And what Paul is reflecting is there is, a, there is a winner or a loser, and that's you. But every person can be a winner. If we first choose Jesus as our trainer and our friend 
to run that race with us and to have that life experience, to go through all those challenges. And there are lots of challenges and there are lots of difficulties. And just like the, the story of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, it's not one straight lane. Life has lots of detours. Life has lots of things that um, unexpectedly come up. We make mistakes. This is not, you know, once we've made this decision to follow Christ, that's not the end of the, the, of the story. There's going to be mistakes that are made. The thing that is important about that and comes back to the friendship is when we make mistakes, it does cause setbacks. And sometimes there are consequences. And sometimes we have to live with the consequences. But that doesn't mean that we still are doing it alone. It never means that Jesus gave up on us because he's always there. And he always keeps coming back or keeps holding our hand. He never leaves us. And he was pretty explicit about that when he said he would never leave us or forsake us. And so my question, I'll ask the question the title again, what is your resolution? You know, while certainly this isn't a new message, it's just something that I came to understand much later in life than I would have liked. And my concern or, or the, the burden I had was that there may be somebody out there that might be struggling with similar issue or similar questions. And there's nothing wrong with the struggle as long as you don't give up. As long as you keep keep working to understand how you can be a friend with Jesus, how you can connect to Jesus, because he wants nothing more than that. And there's lots of resources out there. Different things work for different people. Different, you know, people connect to different stories. Um, you know, like I said, I went, I listened to, um, you know, the the Net series that Mark Finley and Dwight Nelson had put on. Um, you know, the Jesus is Enough Seminar by Lee Vinden. Um, again, I'd strongly recommend any of the books that Ellen White wrote. I, I know that sometimes um, she can be misquoted or sometimes her quotes are used um, maybe less than appropriately, but she was a phenomenal person and she wrote fantastic books. And there was the, um, certainly the Desire of Ages um, is, a, is a good book. There's other books that she had wrote um, another book is uh, Pilgrim's Progress. As I mentioned before, it is a fantastic book. And there are two parts to it. Um, the first part is about Christian, and it's about a man on his individual journey. The second part of the book is about Christiania. Christiania? I can't even hardly say it. But it's actually it's written from a woman's perspective. It's about his wife and their four sons. And so um, it's it's almost better than the first one. So yeah, I just recommend those books. Um, you know, they're, they're, they were never taken out of print. They're still in print today. You can still buy them on Amazon from probably 12 different publishers, um, but they're fantastic books. And so, you know, the, uh, the point and what I wanted to close with is that no matter what your journey is, no matter where you are on your journey, the first resolution should be to become a friend of Jesus because that's going to enable all of the other things that you need to do to complete the, the, the final journey.